Rise up, number 11, when the wheels come off. Feels like they already have. You need love, faith, and hope. That's what Paul said, didn't he? He said three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And we talk about love a lot, I think, generally. We think about the fact that we should be loving and what that might look like and how that might express itself in our lives. I want this morning, though, to zero in on hope. The story that we read plays out a scenario essentially around hope, how we handle it, how we deal with it. And it helps to begin to unpick the interplay, the connection between faith, the other of the three, and hope. How do faith and hope come together? Let's uh, build a bit of a foundation. We all need hope in our lives. It's uh, essential in order to live well to have hope. Loads of um, scriptures encourage us to live with hope. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. And then as soon as we move into the New Testament, uh, especially with the Advent themes and Advent readings, we pick up people who lived on a foundation of hope. Who can think of somebody? Simeon, for example, the old man in the temple who had lived his whole life based on the hope that one day the righteous Messiah would appear, the consolation of Israel. Anna, the prophetess who served day and night in the temple, had lived with the foundation of hope that one day the Messiah would come, looking forward to that moment of rescue and salvation. The Bible's also clear that without hope in our lives, we get sick. In fact, it's a phrase that's into common uh, usage. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life, Proverbs reminds us. Without hope, we wither and we die. Uh, And we're designed that way, aren't we? We're designed to be people who live with hope. Um, uh, Maybe, or maybe you know of, or or you found it in a a grandparent's uh, house, a hope chest. You know what I mean by a hope chest? Uh, a chest that uh, uh, traditionally uh, a young woman would place treasures in, in anticipation of the day that she would be married. You might have something similar. You might have a treasure box that maybe past, has things that are to do with your past, but also contains things that are to do with your future, things that you hope will come to retirement, uh, to to fruition. You you might have tried to build up a retirement fund. It's a pretty useless thing to do, but you might have tried because of the hope that one day you will live a different kind of rhythm to the one that you're living now. 
The Nazis in the concentration camps did an experiment around hope and gave um, uh, inmates the task of moving a pile of rubble from point A to point B for no reason at all. Then they asked them to move the pile back again. And not only morale, but physical health, even death, uh, came uh, much quicker to those who were involved in hopeless, pointless, demoralizing tasks. Hope is very powerful, both positively and negatively. It's why we build and plan and dream. It's why we get married and have kids. Hope is so powerful that people week after week after week flock to Portman Road. That's how powerful hope can be. It's why kids go nuts at Christmas. But for all the power of hope, hope is quite fragile, quite tentative, quite vulnerable. Hope can easily be extinguished, snuffed out. You see, living with hope is hard because hope hurts. Hoping hurts. If you hope for something, then you will be carrying an ache, a vulnerability to being disappointed. You will be exposed in your emotions if you dare to dream. Hope is living with a groaning and anguish inside. In fact, Paul writes about the whole of creation. We we live in hope, the longing for the day when Jesus will restore everything. But that longing is marked by uh, groaning. It's marked by the agony of waiting. Uh, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope. Living with hope has a, a backstory, a backside if you like, which is, it's hard. It creates an ache, a, a longing. Uh, as a kid, I remember um, dad getting us out of the house on Christmas Eve. It's what all dads need to do for mums that want to survive Christmas. Uh, and we'd go swimming on Christmas Eve in splot swimming baths. <laughs> Quality. Quality. But we were the only ones there. And we'd swim up and down this pool... Just killing time, waiting for the day. And I have these vivid childhood memories about the longings that were in my heart about what I might receive the next day. Very presumptuous, you might say. But the the longing, the hope, creates an ache, creates a groan. It's not an easy place to live with hope in your heart. It's not an easy place to live expectant. So the temptation so often is to give up on hope because it's a little easier sometimes to live that way. You see, it can be agony hoping for a spouse and it can be agony hoping 
for a child. And it can be agony hoping for that new job, a job, any job, different job. It can be agony hoping for those results, hoping for this, longing for that. And so it's easy for all the power of hope to give it up, to let it go, to leave the place of living with hope, especially as disappointment creeps in. It's hard to hope that your health will improve after another difficult year. It's hard to believe something different for your marriage if times have been difficult. It's hard to believe after such a long time that that, this, the other might change. It's hard to believe you'll find that job, meet that person, that situation will resolve. Living with hope is hard And it's easier to begin not to expect anymore. Does that make any sense? Enter the Shumanite woman of 2 Kings, chapter 4. This is a complex passage in many ways, heavily nuanced. But there are riches here if we'll pause for a moment and dig. She's a hospitable woman. She's put her energies without a family into caring for others. And so it seems perfectly natural to her to offer hospitality, perhaps what would have been her child's room, to Elisha the prophet as he traveled through her part of the country from time to time. But there is an ache in the Shumanite woman's heart. There is an agony. She is without a child. And Elisha wants to bless her. Elisha wants to bless her for her kindness, so she, he, for, for giving uh, her this room, uh, for giving him this room. And so he sends a message to her. And Elisha says in the message, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? What can we do? How can we bless you, lady? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? What can we do? She replied, I have a home among my own people. Don't be daft, I don't need anything from you, thank you very much. It's almost a little prickly, a little defensive. I've got a home, I've got a roof over my head, I'm with the people that I grew up in, I'm in my home village, what more could I possibly want? Well, actually, there's a big elephant in the room. Why do we say there's an elephant in the room? Why why not a kangaroo? Because it's big. Why not a dinosaur in the room? So, so she's, she's, I don't need anything. Well, what could I possibly need? And of course, there's an elephant in the room because she has great need. And her heart aches. She's defensive. She's prickly. Childless? No, I'm cool about that. I'm cool about the fact that people think I'm cursed because I didn't have a child. I'm cool about the fact that I've had to give my only room to the guests that are traveling. I'm cool. I I don't need anything. I'm living uh, among the people that I grew up in. All's well with me. Why, Why doesn't she say, well, actually, Elisha, if you are a man of God, if you can make things happen, then what I need is a son. That's what I want. Why doesn't she say that? It can't be because her husband is a little old. The physics of these things, I don't think that matters too much. It's the woman being old that's more of the problem. 
But if Elisha can do miracles and do anything, why isn't she honest about this need in her heart? I suggest she's not honest because she's given up all hope. It's easier to expect nothing than to have the pain and the agony of this ache, this hope, reawakened. How do we know? Well, look how the dialogue unfolds. Verse 15. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, he's got guts, doesn't he? I'll give him that. About this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord. No, please, please don't say that. Please don't talk like that. Please, I cannot bear that hope being reawakened. I've lived for so long pushing that expectation down. You might be a man of God or not, but don't say that. Because she didn't want a son? No, because she didn't dare to hope. Don't mess with me, Elijah. Elisha. This is too painful. I cannot even begin to think about it anymore. I cannot even begin to entertain that thought anymore. There's an ache so great. And if I acknowledge again that it's there, I'm afraid it will overwhelm me. I cannot begin to hope. Where have you lost hope? Where, where are you in that place? You go, I can't hope anymore. I tried hoping I lived with the agony of it. And I can't do that anymore. And I'm pushing that hope down now because it's way too hard to hope again. Where have you lost hope? Elisha's really pushy, isn't he? And maybe this morning God wants to be a little bit pushy in that tender place in our hearts where we feel like we've lost all hope. God wants to be a little bit pushy in that place and say, hey, I I, I want to ask you to believe again. Where are you telling your heart you've got all that you need when you know that you haven't? Where are you telling your heart where those godly desires that you had are being squashed and crushed? This woman had resigned herself to the fact that this was how things were. Hope abandoned in resignation. I've decided the way I am is just the way it will be. And frankly, It's easier to live that way. I give up, she's saying. Just like you and I have sometimes. I give up. I can't hope anymore. I'm 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 done with hope. It's so much safer to let hope die. Better not to hope we find ourselves saying, than to hope and be disappointed. 
Has that thought ever traveled round your heart? Better not to hope than to hope and be disappointed. And that's sometimes how we abandon hope, in a kind of resignation. Well, it's just the way things are. I just have to accept the way it is and move on. If you ever said to yourself, it's too good to be true, it'll never last. If something good happens, then I'm looking out for something bad just around the corner. I knew this would happen. I'm such a fool. When am I going to learn not to get my hopes up? Things like these only happen to other people. And we find ourselves right where that Shemunite woman is. Does that make sense? We've abandoned our hope because it's too hard and it's too difficult and too painful. And if that's how you feel this morning, if that connects in with the hope that you had that had died, then God wants to be a, a bit pushy. The Shemunite woman was wrong. She was forced, she would need to repent. Verse 17, the truth is, the woman became pregnant the next year, about that same time. She gave birth to a son, just as Elisha, just as God had said. Hope abandoned in resignation, but let the story confront you that God has not abandoned the hope that you have let go of. Let the story confront your dream, your hope. Let the story confront where you have said, I just can't believe for that anymore. Let this story warm your heart where your heart has become hard hard and cold. Where you've resigned yourself to what you see as the inevitable. It is not inevitable with God. Could have done a little groan then. That would have been kind of... Been okay. As opposed to a growl that I might have found a bit intimidating, but a groan would have been... Hold that thought. Okay, what have you lost? What hope have you... Just resigned yourself. It's, it's, I, can't, I can't keep open. It's just the way it is. Good things never really happened to me anyway. I was foolish to believe in it. I don't know what I was thinking. Getting my hopes up. Hold that thought. And then the story unfolds. Remarkably, she gets this son who's healthy and alive and, uh, and she's alive and, and God's been faithful and the, the, the world is right and the, he grows up and he, he, he's so strong and handsome and he starts working in the fields and everybody knows he's the, he's the, the boy that, that God provided. And then one day, out of the blue, out of a clear blue sky, his head hurts. And by lunchtime, he's dead. That's the story. The wheels had truly come off. The son dies in her arms. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine how she felt? 
Imagine what was racing through our hearts. All those years of hoping and then disappointment, then resignation and stuff. Suddenly, anger is churning deep within her. An anger she probably didn't even know was there. Look how this placid lady, resigned to her fate, uh, suddenly changes her countenance. She's furious and she races off to Elisha. Did I ask you for a son, my lord? What on earth have you done to me? I wish you'd left me alone. I wish I'd never had a son. I wish I'd never got my hopes up. What on earth was I thinking, believing in you and your stupid tale that one day I would have a son? Is she angry? Is she hack? I'm not afraid of strong women, Elisha's going. I'm not afraid of strong women. I'm not afraid of strong women. Some of you find that funnier than others. Is she angry? Ah, she's mad. All that disappointment and loss soars back into her being. Hope abandoned this time in anger and fury. She's furious with Elisha. She's furious with God. She's probably furious with herself for, for daring to believe and daring to hope. How could I be so stupid to think it would all turn out all right because things never turn out right for me? How could I have got my hopes up that all would be well because when a good thing happens, there's always a bad thing around the corner. And this anger wells up inside her. She's so angry, she puts the boy in Elisha's bed. That's pretty passive-aggressive, wouldn't you have said? Where's the boy? He's in your bed. This is your problem, Elisha. And I'm mad at you for what's happened. Sometimes we abandon hope in anger and fury. We abandon hope with the words, how dare this happen to me? Sometimes we abandon hope with that agreement. Other people don't have to put... It's always me, isn't it? If it goes wrong, it's always me. I'm always the one that things don't work out for. This is not fair. What's wrong with me? Why doesn't God love me like he loves everybody else? And it creates a drivenness to prove ourselves. Drivenness to earn the recognition of others because that woman would have felt full of shame. The child that she had was now taken away. We want to, we, we, we don't want to feel shame in front of other people. So we try and, and build on our inadequacies and present ourselves to others. And hope gets abandoned in anger and fury. And maybe that's more your story this morning. You're furious that it hasn't worked out. You're angry that what you were believing for seems to have just come to an utter dead end. Suddenly, sometimes, how cruel life can be. You wake up one morning, the sun is shining. By lunchtime, all is death. So if hope abandoned in resignation reveals our lack of confidence in God's power... That's an issue of faith. Hope abandoned in anger ultimately is an issue of our lack of confidence in God's love. Love, faith, hope. Keep that triangle in in your mind all of the time. Hope abandoned in resignation 
It's a lack of confidence in God's power. Well, this, this, this is just the way it is. I've got to put up with it. Or, actually, I'm furious that this is the way it is, and it's somebody's fault. And ultimately, it's God's fault. Typically, both are looking in our lives when we've abandoned hope. You see, this lady, bless her, we, we so relate to her, how dare we even think of judging her. She totally lost sight of the grace of God. The grace of God who miraculously gave her a son. The grace of God who could miraculously restore a son. And this lady, like our lives so often, can go round in a cycle of hope and despair. Hope and despair. Hope and despair. I have no energy to hope anymore. Despair. 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 And I think God wants to speak into our hearts this morning about that. Where some of us have just lost that ability to hope. And where there is no hope, the people get sick. And, and we've, we're sick inside because uh, the, the hope is gone. What we believed in is gone. So how does Elisha seem to respond so differently? How does Elisha push through the hope-despair cycle? It's so easy to say and a lot more difficult to do, but just a couple of thoughts as we come in to to land. How how do we hold on to hope? It seems to me that Elisha had a single-minded determination. A single-minded... He went in. He didn't debate with the woman. He didn't even have a long conversation with his servant, but he went straight in and he shut the door. And he shut the door. Sometimes we need to close the door on those who feed our hopelessness. Some people make me feel hope-filled. Some people drain the hope out of me faster than I can say the phrase. And that's true for all of us, isn't it? That's just normal everyday living. And here is this woman who is hopeless. The servant, he's gone and had a go. He he can't do diddly squat. He's pretty hopeless too. He goes back with a report. It's no good. He's dead. He's proper dead. Not just a little bit dead, proper dead. This is it. Show's over. Everyone's hopeless. So what does Elijah do with a single-minded determination? Closes the door on all of that. I'm, I'm not dealing with that. I don't need anything to feed my unbelief. Do you? I don't need anything. Hope is a fragile thing. Easily stuck. I'm going to shut the door on that. And he goes straight to the Lord uh, in prayer. And he begins to trust in the promise that she would have a son. And he holds God at his word. And there are so many words that say that God will be faithful to his promise. There are so many words that say that as we hope in the Lord. This will not be the end of the story. We wait as you hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And they will soar. That's not a promise that it will turn out exactly as we imagine it, or that God will fix it in the way that we think he should. But it is a promise that for those who hope in the Lord, they will soar. On wings like eagles. Those who wait in the hope for the Lord will 
renew their strength. For he is our help and our shield. Those who hope in the Lord will discover this beautiful phrase in Ezekiel. Sorry, in Hosea. This beautiful phrase that in the valley of trouble, in that place where we have decided there is no hope, God creates a doorway of hope. In the valley of Acre, literally a valley of trouble, he will make a doorway of hope. Where, where have you lost hope? Where have you resigned your fact that this can't be fixed? This won't be resolved. This is the end of the story. Where have you lost hope and you're angry about it today? Don't like to think about you being angry and furious, but actually deep down you know if you're honest, you're furious. God's let you down. That's how it feels. Feels like he loves everybody else, but he doesn't love me. That's how it feels. You see, at the heart of the gospel, the heart of this communion table is resurrection. Get a little groan for that? The heart of it is resurrection. For resurrection to happen, you've got to be proper dead. proper dead. When we see things that are proper dead, we say there is no hope. That's not what God says, and it's not what God sees. And I I don't know your story from the beginning to the end. I I don't know what hopes you've given up on, But, but I know this. I know this. That the story of the Shumanite woman is our story so often. But the story of the Shumanite woman is God's story. And it's a story of resurrection. And for resurrection, you've got to be proper dead. And sometimes we find ourselves in places that seem proper dead. And it's in that place, in that valley of trouble, that the door to hope and resurrection opens. It's within the grave that the stone gets rolled away. Another little opportunity to express something. Like, what if that was true? Honest, what if that was true? What if in the place in your life that you think is dead is but a stone rolling away moment for resurrection? That's what this story says. And we kind of long to believe it and we struggle to believe it. We're kind of in that horrible in-between. We'd like to believe it, but I'm not sure I dare believe it because that's the very thing we're talking about. Do I dare to hope again? Have I got the courage, the confidence to hope again? You can't decide that in a couple of minutes. But maybe it's time to agree with yourself. It's a little journey to walk with God that starts here. I need to look at those places in my life where I've given up hope. Because I might need to repent. Because imagine giving up hope when God hasn't. Imagine thinking it was the end of the story 
when the best bits were still to come. Imagine not being in Jerusalem when the resurrected Jesus appeared. Let's pray. Father, these are your words from your word. I'm asking now, by the power of your spirit, for them to warm our hearts. I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, where we're open to minister to us. Where hope has died, I'm asking, Lord, for a little flicker of hope to be lit. Where our hearts are cold, I'm asking for a little warmth. Where we have agreed things in our hearts that are simply not true, agreed them in anger and frustration, Lord, your gentle correction, your loving forgiveness, and your thorough cleansing, we pray. Let faith and hope arise. Let faith and hope arise.